Hey, Danger Dangers here with a quick announcement. The nomination window for the 2024 Crit Awards closes on May 31st, and it would mean the world to us to have your help getting on the ballot. A link to the nomination form, as well as a document with some of our suggested responses, is in the episode description. But that being said, please feel free to vote for whichever shows you are most passionate about. Thank you for listening, and now, back to the show. Dean Dark is an absurd, over-the-top comedy horror adventure that is intended for older audiences. Content warnings can be found in the episode descriptions. Hello and welcome to Dean Dark, a comedy horror adventure real play podcast loosely based on mechanics from Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition and starring some of horror's most infamous monsters. I'm Danger Dan Jers, and I'm your host slash Crypt Keeper. I'm Grayson, playing Jack Griffin, the Invisible Man. And as soon as we got into this kind of nightclub, the group saw someone up in the balcony area. Seemed important. Jack went over to the bartender, found out that the guy was important. And it was kind of like, okay, well, we need to talk to this guy and we need an invitation up there. So I had the Frankenstein monster chuck me as hard as he could. And then also, oddly enough, with the help of Phantom, I got over to one of the stages doing some acrobatics, got an invite up there. Phantom spoke with, I think it was Marlo Bronte. And then we got hired on for a heist. I'm Aaron. Uh, I'm playing the Phantom of the Opera. I want to say that I probably could have gotten Bronte's attention myself, but there were some, you know, weaker backup dancers. All right. You know, my performance was not appropriately backed up, but we got there. I am Ben Magnet. I play Mary Frankenstein, also known as Frankenstein's monster. And last time, the one man who was nice to us ran away at the sound of Carmilla's name and also was very, apparently I'm just some hunk of meat to them because he saw me and I was like, oh, I want that blood. And I don't think he liked it very much because he would not stop shouting. Also, I never got my drink at the bar. I'm still thirsty. Hello, I am Daniel Cruz. I am playing Imhotep the Mummy, a death domain cleric. In our last session, Imhotep went into the club with everybody else. And while everybody else was having a great old time, Imhotep got to live out his dreams of being a screaming skull <laughs> disco ball. It was glorious. Hello, my name is Jordan, and I play Larry Talbot, a lycanthropic warlock. And last time on Larry's adventure, Larry absolutely fell in love with the avant-garde undead musicians up on the table and he spent a majority of his time just awestruck about the violin tendons and the lady whose spine is impaled on the stripper pole but is dancing anyways jordan hates it jordan thinks it's <laughs> icky but larry is fascinated i'm like all right fair enough dude you do you we'll go with it larry if he lived more in the future, would love horror films. There's something about the grotesque being a safe performance that he's normally such a scaredy cat, but since it's a performance, he just feels more secure in the macabre. It's that, um, like, arm's length of distance away he's from like, it. wow, that's disturbing, and I'm not gonna die, so that's amazing. I'm not in danger. This is awesome. <laughs> and shall I do our card of the day? Please. Our card of the day is the High Priestess. Hey, man, I'm like a priestess. Oh, my God. 
I'm like ready to do stuff for you. The mummy who is a priest has no comment on these. <laughs> but the priestess, you are considered proficient in nature and your proficiency bonus is doubled when you speak with animals. Cool. So we're going into a dungeon where there's no other living creatures and no nature. I'm so glad. <laughs> well, who knows? Maybe maybe if we get a 20 perception, we'll find like a little mouse and you'll be able to talk to them and tell them to like Oh my gosh. Jordan. Yes. You can talk to Caprison. I can talk to Caprison. I was just thinking about that. <laughs> Thank you, Erin. You could ask Caprison's name. We know Caprison's name. But no, I definitely think I, if opportunity presents itself, I will definitely see if Caprison can give us some knowledge on a trap or two. That would be great. I am bracing myself for that now. <laughs> yep. Warm up your bat voice, Dan. Get it ready. Dan, before we go, what does the bat voice sound like? Uh-oh. Hold up. I'm going to bet that even though it's a small, cute little bat, for some reason, my mind just went straight to Patrick Warburton and he's going to sound like Kronk. <laughs> now that you've said that. Oh, shit. <laughs> hey, Larry. Uh, what you oh, want to do is go down the hallway this way. Oh, that just gave Caprison like this robust, rugged chin. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> I regret nothing. <laughs> <laughs> All right, good start. The voice of Patrick Warburton, the oh face of Jay Leno. Immediately we're off the rails. All right, cool, cool. <laughs> All right, let's go ahead and jump into the swing of things. So, in this dungeon, there are no creatures to encounter. It is entirely puzzles and traps that you are going in to disarm. In this dungeon, there is sleeping a vampire. It is Maledict Stonecroft. And to put things into perspective a little bit, how D&D classifies their monsters in terms of relative difficulty, they've got a challenge rating scale. The Bone Chimera was a challenge rating 5. Vordenberg was a challenge rating 6. This vampire is a challenge rating 13. Uh. You can take it. So, if you do encounter him, just be aware that you're going to be punching a little above your weight class. But in general, the longer you are in this dungeon, and I'll basically treat that as every time you enter a new room, I will roll a d20 to see whether he wakes up or not. Each new room, the threshold gets higher and higher for him to stay asleep. So eventually, he will wake up and start tracking you down. I will not tell you what the results of my dice rolls are, but you've got that looming risk that gets higher the more time you spend down here. As you're going through room by room, there will be a bunch of different traps and puzzles to solve and disarm. For each one that you can successfully get past and disarm is how much gold you will receive at the end of this as your reward. And you can, at any time, pull the plug by saying Marlo Bronte we invite you in. Everybody good on that? Yep. 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 All right. So as you make your way over to this little, it's not exactly a mansion, but it's a higher end house than most of the residences you passed within the town proper. This is just kind of on the outskirts of town. There's this little abode that is a pretty well put together house. And you pass through along the way, bunch of shriveled and deteriorated plant life. There's a little bit of an ethereal fog kind of hanging around the floor. You see some of the wildlife get a little bit more erratic as you get closer to the mansion. Marlo gave you a key to the front door, which works just fine. You get on in through the door. That key won't work on any other doors. It's just for the front. And 
as you descend down the stairs, you see a pretty fancily furnished entryway. In this immediate room as you come down the stairs, there is a door to your south and a door to your east. Above the southern door, there is a sign kind of hanging over it that says, Vampires only. You have been warned. It is written in a gaudy red ink. <laughs> With some drips. It's written in the chiller font. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh. And you do see opposite that door against the north wall, there is a button that is surrounded with runes that are glowing blue. <laughs> that number from one okay. to 20. Which door, which door? I want to walk over to the door with the runes. Yeah, I'm going to head there too. And I want to just kind of like check it out, see if the runes are essentially kind of like connected to a trap of any kind. I want to give the party an opportunity to actually solve a puzzle or, or do something smart. But I will say that Phantom's intoxicated mind realized that he had a drink that said blood in it. So he's going to slowly creep Close enough. towards the vampire's only door. Just slowly. And if the party doesn't do something in time, he will go through it. I am going to rush over and grab him and just be like, don't. I want to smack the runes on the wall with my hand. All right. So I'm going to set a timer for one minute. Oh, no. As you push the button, the room begins to rumble a little bit. Some spikes come down from the ceiling and begin to sway back and forth ever so slightly. The runes all glow brighter and begin counting down from 20 to 1. As the room shakes and as the spikes come down, the southern door that says vampires only loosens and creaks in. Timer begins now. You have one minute. That's it. I guess we just got to go through this open door then. So I'm going to go ahead and follow Frankenstein down the south door. Is there anything else I can glean from this room? Can I roll an arcana? Uh, roll an arcana. Okay. Arcana. Where do we have a minute? Uh, 14. With a 14, you can tell that both doors are linked to these runes. It is now at about eight seconds left on the timer. Yeah, I guess I'll just go through the open door. <laughs> Unless, wait, can I press or touch or anything on that steel door that's closed? As you investigate it, uh, nothing happens when you're touching that okay, door. Okay, I don't see anything else in the room. I'll leave. Okay. And as you run through the southern door, basically all of you run in, shut the door behind you. You hear a loud crash and a clatter of metal and the room shakes a little bit. And then you hear the whirring of hydraulics as you feel the room start to settle again. You are in just a very small, almost like closet-sized room. The only thing that is in this room is a large, upright, standing mirror that spans from the floor to the ceiling. There is a crack running through it. Hey. And it is fixed up against that back wall. I want to take a closer look at the mirror. I just want to see, like, if there's anything more to this mirror than what we can see. I want to look at Larry and like, I think it might be wise that in the future if we see glowing runes, we don't touch them. I think you're right. That was a little brash. I was excited. So, Invisible Man, as you approach the mirror, you first start to see the reflection of your clothes come into focus. And then they fade away. And as you are looking in this mirror, you see kind of taking their place piece by piece, a floating uniform of a police constable. 
you see kind of filling into the background behind it, a science lab that is recognizable to you as one of the many labs that you were going through when you were doing your experiments. And you see some of your fellow scientists coming across a breakthrough, a method of reversing the invisibility process. The equations are finished and the potion is made. You see this uniform drop down into nothing, and one by one, you see all of the scientists drop to the floor, heads slamming against the ground as handcuffs restrain each of them. They try to run and make their way out, and in the process, a cavalry of police officers bursts in and restrains each and every one of them, pulling them away, and in the process, as they're trying to scramble to save everything, one of the scientists torches the equation on the wall, the potion that they made gets shattered against the floor, and they all start to get dragged out piece by piece. The constable uniform reforms once more on a floating invisible silhouette, walks out the door, passes by a starving family that is making their way, they are dumpster diving, trying to find any scrap and semblance of food, and out of desperation, one of them runs for it. The floating, uniformed, invisible specter instinctively takes off after them as this child runs into a bakery to steal a loaf of bread, and you see the uniformed, invisible silhouette restrain the child, slamming them on the floor, handcuffing them, and bringing the child along with all of the scientists back with the other police officers and taking them away. Last thing you see before this vision fades away, you see this uniform pivot towards you, and the uniform drops, and a pair of cuffs gets bigger and bigger as it comes into the foreground approaching you, bumps into the edge of the mirror, and then fades away. With all this, Jack is almost hit with a bunch of different ideas and emotions to where he's just kind of like visually trembling. I don't think anyone's going to know whether it's anger, confusion, sadness, or anything like that. But at that point, I think Jack's just going to slide up against the wall and shove the mirror up against the other side with the reflection facing against the wall so like no one else can see it. As you reach out to try to turn the mirror around, it is affixed firmly against the wall. You are unable to move it from its position. Everybody else, you see how troubled he was by looking at his reflection in the mirror. You do not see what he saw. All you see is that whatever it was he saw affected him strangely. With that, I'm getting more frustrated and I'm getting kind of angry. And now it's like I'm trying to claw and tear at this mirror to rip it off the wall now. But of course, nothing's happening. So now I'm just kind of like banging on it. I, I want to reach out and go, Jack. Jack, what are you and doing? What did you see? As you reach out and push him aside, asking what he sees, you look into the mirror, Wolfman. And what you see, you see your own confused and nervous reflection looking back at you before it kind of jitters and alters a little bit. The nervous expression becomes eerily calm. The eyes become darker and more intense. The ragged clothes, they are better fitted, but more distressed. And a ghastly grin overtakes this face as ripped and torn to shred tarot cards fall into place around it, almost coming down from the sky like a light drizzle of snow. 
and as the images on the cards that you're slowly becoming more accustomed to fly in brief little bursts past you, a hound does the little dog circle around and plops down (laughs) onto that pile of cards, looks up at you with a snarl and a rabid foam coming out of its mouth and intense hatred in its eyes. And as you make eye contact with it, you can see that this is a bad dog. And overtaking both of them, a shadow starts to loom up behind the two of you that engulfs both of you. That is a large, ravenous, furry hide that glows red and lets out a howl that you hear in the back of your head that unsettles you deeply to your core. The version of yourself that you see in the center points at you, and the bad dog haunches up and leaps at you in your direction. As it makes it up against the surface of the mirror, it trembles ever so slightly, and you can feel a little bit of a gust of wind from the force hit you ever so briefly as all of them fade away into nothing. Larry has just a very confused look on his face. And as the tarot cards start raining down, his head is spinning like, is this prophecy? Is this a method to fix his life? Is is in removing the cards? But then looking up at the face of his opposite, he's like, no, this is making me feel sick. And then when the giant first silhouette looms closer and closer, you can see that Larry gets angry. He's holding his cane in front of him, clenching it so tight, but he almost looks like he's going to vomit. He's shaking and freaking out, and there is this hate in his eyes as he's looking at these three figures, and it almost looks like he's going to strike the mirror and break it, but when the the hound at the bottom leaps forward at him and feels like it's going to come through the glass, he He jumps backwards and he topples onto the ground with the cane still in his hand and he's shaking. He's shaking so bad because it's reminding him of the past. It's reminding him of the future. And he's just he's caught up in his whirlwinds of anxieties and he's clutching that cane so tightly in front of him on the ground now. Eyes not focusing on anything as the reflection goes away. There is visible smoke and an audible sizzle coming from your hand, clutching the head of that cane. Yeah, he's he's clutching the base of it, and then he's grabbing that wolf head and just not actually crushing it, but as strongly as he is, just clamping down onto it. I'm going to stand in between Larry and the reflection and just ask, did you see a lab? Uh, no. You don't have to say anything else. I just want to know what you saw if it was a lab. Really quickly, <laughs> while they're doing this, Imhotep is going to like open the door and look back in the other room again. As you open the door and look back in, the room is exactly as you left it. There is no timer ticking down. It's basically the button and the runes have reset and they were just as they were when you first walked in. Yeah, so when Jack asks if he saw a lab for a quick second, Larry thinks, oh God, did he see a dog? Did he see me? And then he's like, no, why would he say lab? It wasn't a lab. No, no, Jack, I I, I didn't see a lab in the mirror. Imhotep leans back from standing at the doorway and says... Whatever it is the two of you have seen, I do not believe it is good. I think we should leave this room as soon as we can. I would like to do that. 
and Larry kind of clambers to his feet to stand, sort of struggling. He's still shaking, but he's got a very kind of serious look on his face. Above the table, does anybody else want to look in the mirror? Kind of want to look in the mirror. Kind of want to look in the mirror. <laughs> I'll give it a peek. I assume you've written a little something, so. <laughs> so, um, in defiance of Imhotep's advice. Well, I will, Imhotep right now is not going to be looking in the mirror. He's standing at the door waiting for the others to decide what they're going to do. Jack is just going to look at Larry with, well, he has no facial expression. Um, <laughs> almost disregard anything that Larry said, because now, well, if he didn't see a lab, then what use is he? And then just kind of like storm off after Emotep into the next room. Oh, damn. Larry, after answering your question, gets up, turns around and walks out, actually using his cane as a cane, sort of leaning on it. Just paying you no mind. Yeah. Phantom walks to look in the mirror only because of how miserable it made the other two. It's fascinating. <laughs> With your curiosity tugging you closer, unable to resist the siren call of this mirror, Phantom, when you approach it, you see your reflection as it is now. You see your mask fall to the ground. And you see, as it is now, the disfigurement of your face. You see the slightly singed, mostly necrotic, slightly malformed half of your face. The wig that you wear falls off, and you see the stringy, white, corpse-like hair underneath. And you see it fill out to take the shape of the wig that you were covering it up with. You see the malformed half of your face fix itself so that it resembles the right half of your face. And you look complete for the first time that you've ever seen. And your silhouette turns around to see a stage opened up. It is the Paris Opera House. And front and center, a spotlight shines on Christine Daae as she is giving an operatic performance of Johann Goethe's Faust. And it is a familiar sound to your ears, but it is more skilled than the Christine that you knew in life. It is a Christine that has internalized all of your teachings and that is truly elevating the art form. It is the most beautiful sound you've ever heard. And you see in the audience, most of the people up in the Raptors are in awe, but there's a few people down in the orchestra pit, some of the rabble, that very clearly don't understand. And they're getting a little impatient and they begin to get rowdy. And one of them, as he goes to try and light a cigarette, drops his lighter onto the floor where there's a couple of basically leftover rose petals from previous night performances that starts to ignite. And the fire gets brighter and brighter and creeps in towards the stage. And you see this complete version of yourself run out on stage to the rescue. This version of you throws off your cloak, stamps out the fire, prestidigitates some water, saves the day, and is showered with adoration and joy as rose petals flood the stage from a grateful audience. And a grateful and thankful Christine comes to your side. This version of you dips her, spins around to make eye contact with you, and directly looking you in the eyes, draws her in closer. Rather than going for a kiss, pulls out a crossbow, aims it directly at you. Christine looks up and looks at you in horror. She stands up, petrified, 
at the visage that you have looking at her, and this complete version of yourself comes to her defense, pushes her aside, gives a slight knowing grin at the life that this version of you knows that that version of you does not have, revels for a moment, and fires. The arrow bolt makes its way towards the edge of the mirror, and just as it goes to make impact, fades away. But you can still feel a slight jet of wind that feels as though the arrow is whizzing past you, and the whole thing fades to black. Phantom actually faced earlier in his life an exact betrayal by Christine, so I'm going to have a moment to compose myself, walk out, and just be a real, (laughs) real jag, (laughs) walk into the main room. Guess it doesn't work. Wonderful. I'm just going to say that Jack's just kind of occupying himself with, like, inspecting the door. So I see everyone walk out feeling horrible after looking into this mirror. And I just like, okay, it can't, something's up. There has to be something going on. So I want to try and investigate to make sure that, see, there's like, there's no hidden path behind it or something. As you investigate the mirror, you see that basically there is nothing that this mirror is covering up. This is all there is to this room. Well, great. But you have the insight to realize that Carmilla didn't have any reflection. And it occurs to you that that's probably a thing that's true of all vampires, that they would not see anything looking into this mirror as they have no reflection. Mm -hmm. And as that is dawning on you, you see your own reflection. Ah, shit. And you see the face looking back at you fades away, falls piece by piece apart into the various different corpses that make up your whole. So the different flaps of skin, all of the sutures unravel themselves, and piece by piece you fall apart into a mound of flesh. And from that flesh, piece by piece reassembling itself, you see something strikingly beautiful. You see another figure that is similar to you in many ways, but is more elegant, more finely crafted. As the pieces fall into place, you can tell that this is one that was made to be exhibited, that was made with an idyllic female image, and what would be an astonishingly perfect companion for you forms in your wake. The sutures stitch it back together, and you see the beautiful face of a female creature dressed in a bridal gown, and you see Victor Frankenstein putting the finishing touches on and admiring his successful creation. You then see this creation come to life with a manic look in its eyes, and you see it immediately, with no hesitation, betray your creator. It turns and strangles him and does what you couldn't bring yourself to do and snuffs the light out of Victor Frankenstein's eyes. You then see the laboratory that Victor Frankenstein made you in, destroyed in shambles, utterly eviscerated. And it fades away into a countryside that is in similar disrepair. And you see, wandering across the hills of the countrysides that you first wandered when you were coming to life, this female creature with a look of glee causing chaos, destruction, and ruin. And you see her have a momentary hesitation as she comes across a bonfire with a bunch of villagers. And before crushing each and every one of them, 
takes the fire herself and begins igniting the countryside, starting with the straw-thatched cottage of a blind hermit. You recognize the face of this hermit who took you in, who taught you everything, dying at this creature's hands as it delights in the turmoil. This female creature turns to look at you, winces a little bit at your visage, looks you up and down, then lets out a hiss and brings the torch towards you. There's a bright illumination and you feel a little bit of heat singe the front tips of the hair on your head as the image fades away. As she's coming at me with a torch, I kind of like step back a little bit and I feel when I feel the heat. And the whole time as I'm watching her, I go into like adoration. That's like this beautiful thing. And I, you know, I'm super hideous and I see her do what I couldn't do. And at first I feel pity. And then I think, I mean, it's probably right. I vowed to never let a creation, another one of me walk this earth. And then as she's destroying it, that just that pity turns to anger. That adoration turns to hate. And my fist is clenching the whole time. I don't know if this sees the future, but that's the exact reason why none of me should ever exist again. Can I do one more investigation on the mirror to make sure it isn't trapped or anything? Uh, sure. Roll Arcana. Uh, 15 plus 1, 16. With a 16, you can feel a presence from this mirror. You can tell that there's been a change in this room since you all came and went, and it feels more barren than it did before. But it's not, like, dangerous or anything? It's just, like, a mirror that shows us our fears and our dark desires or something like that? It would seem as though this mirror no longer poses any threat to you specifically. I call it as, like, Imhotep. You didn't want to have a look at this thing, did you? We knew this mirror was bad juju. Why did you all insist on looking into it? I didn't mean to. I didn't know. And as you rush them out of the room, you glance at the mirror for a momentary second, and you see your own reflection look back at you, perfectly normal, and as you start to turn away, you see it begin to change. And you cannot resist, and out of just sheer morbid curiosity... You look back. Muttering curse to himself this entire time as he's forced to watch. (laughs) (laughs) You see, basically, the pierce the veil magical effect passes over you. As you go from a skeleton back to a person. Okay. This version of you turns around and is overlooking the pyramids. You see the pyramids that you design, and you see the grand scale and order of this kingdom that you had such a heavy hand in shaping. And as you're seeing these pyramids, there is just a small runoff creek from one of the deltas of the Nile that is uh, kind of hanging low in the distance. And the image in the mirror approaches closer to that. It goes through the water as the reflection in the water gets closer and closer. And as it passes underneath, everything is upside down. You turn back towards the pyramids, which then spin themselves back right side up. And something is different about their appearance. They're constructed a little more haphazardly. These pyramids were not angled in such a way to praise Osiris, but to praise one of the other gods. And as you're kind of racking your brain to see what's different about this one, the image kind of zooms in closer onto the living body of the mirror Imhotep that turns back around to you with a bag of sand hanging around its neck. Oh, 
<laughs> it clutches this bag of sand as its eyes light up and you see in ruins these corrupted and perverse pyramids and you realize as the bondages of all of the slaves that help put this in order begin snapping free and the pharaohs and the high priests and those who worship the heavens are now being overrun and overtaken by the servants. You see this version of Imhotep leading the charge and saying a prayer to Set, the god of chaos, and pulls from his cloak the scroll of Set. It turns to look at you, and clutching the sand ever tighter, the skin disintegrates into ash and piece by piece disassembles itself into a skeleton with runes that glow red as these ashes swirl up around and into the pouch, which glows with a burning energy. As the eyes glow bright red, the jaw distends, and you hear faintly in the back of your head a dolorous bell. Oh, I knew you were going there. Oh, I knew you were going there. <laughs> as it points a bony finger at you and ripples of force and wind sweeping up the sand around it, splash up against the edge of the mirror, and a couple of grains of sand trickle out through the cracks as the image fades away. Imhotep, his runes kind of flicker a little bit for a moment, and since he has no facial features to really show, he just kind of stands there, silent and still, before turning around without saying a word. Under the table... Oh man, are you telling me that the evil of Set aligned Imhotep freed the slaves? <laughs> I'm sorry, like I get what you're going with, like that would just, would just like I'm like, are you telling Take me? Take another look at your character alignment. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. I never said that this was evil, Imhotep. Oh my gosh, which Imhotep has the goatee? <laughs> Take a look at your character token. This Imhotep has the goatee. <laughs> oh, okay. Interesting. Interesting. I see what you're doing. He is, I assume, the polar opposite of me. He's chaotic good. I'll tell you straight up, all of those images were the exact opposite alignment of yourselves. Oh. And it was a vision of you that is opposite of you in every way. I had a theory. Thank you, Doggo. <laughs> I'm not saying it was bad or anything. I'm just sitting here. I'm like, ah, yes. The opposite of Imhotep is the bone breaker. <laughs> ah, good. But no, I mean, it, it, it does make sense. It's just in the moment, I'm just like, ah, yes. The bad guy. The guy who freed the slaves. Hey, man, we're going for like a J.K. Rowling level <laughs> career here. We got to start building it in. <laughs> it is not in like, oh my god, Dan, how horrible of you to say. It's just me teasing oh, you a little yeah, bit. I think just... we all thought when you described <laughs> that, like, whoa, where is this going? <laughs> well, no, as soon as you said the sand, I'm like, I get where this is going already. I know exactly what this yeah, shit is. What's the opposite of water? Well, haha, who wants an Egypt lesson? Yes, please. Set isn't exactly the god of chaos. Well, he is the god of chaos. But that is embodied in the desert because Egypt is one of those countries like you can live on the Nile and nowhere else. Mm -hmm. So that was why the sand, I was like, oh, he's going for Set because Set was the desert. 
Oh, that's cool. And they both start with S. True. <laughs> Which is specifically why I made Imhotep's focus is water from the Nile. Yeah. So that if I'm sense. lawful neutral, then the Bride of Frankenstein that I saw was lawful, was chaotic neutral. Yep. Ooh. Okay. Interesting. So after I hear Imhotep's footsteps, I clench my fist and I hit the mirror uh, hard enough so it doesn't like completely shatters and fall to the ground, but shatters as in it cracks and the reflection is splintered. As you go to strike the mirror, there is no reflection. It is completely gone. The cracks get a little bit bigger, but you can feel, and from your 18 arcana from that, you could feel that there is nothing left for it to show you. Mm. And so you just see nothing. Well, the interact prompt disappeared. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, shit. And I go back outside and I help Jack with this door. Okay. So investigating that door, it is completely fixed in place. And there's not really any sort of handle. There's not really any sort of structural weaknesses in it. But as you're looking at it, you can see that it is connected to the button and the runes in a similar way that the southern door was. Mm. And with all that, like, I didn't find any traps or... Uh, you did not find any other traps. Okay. Are the spikes still above us? The spikes have kind of ascended back above the ceiling panels. Okay. I'm going to start working on the door lock. Like, just not saying anything. Okay, go ahead and roll investigation. Yay. 15. With a 15, there is no keyhole, there is no handle. This door is bolted in place. Floor to ceiling, wall to wall. There's no lining, there's no cracks, there's no handle, anything. While the Invisible Man studies this, Imhotep is going to go and look at the rooms. Okay, go ahead and roll Arcana. 22 after modifier. With a 22, as you're looking at the runes, you can tell that there's more to this countdown than you thought at first glance. You push the button a couple of times, and each time you push it, the countdown resets. It's not currently going right now because you basically are just keeping it set back in perpetuity, but... Like, as you're really examining these runes, it appears that they are mostly for show. Imhotep presses the button. Uh oh Oh. Oh. And as you press and release the button, the countdown begins again. There is another rumbling that fills the room as some spikes descend from the ceiling and begin to sway back and forth. And I will reset the timer as it begins counting down from 20 to 1. Can I also check the door to see if, like, it's loosened or anything? Is there any gaps in between the swinging spikes? Roll perception. 15 perception. You notice that where the spikes are coming down from the ceiling, you look down to the floor, and you see no trace of damage to the floor. Huh. I'm going to lie down near the door. <laughs> I was going to say, Imhotep kind of casually strolls to the door and then just breaks into bones. Nice. I'm going to start trying to, like, push the door to see if I can just get it open. I am also going to push the door to help him get it open. As you are pushing against the door, and that timer hits one, the door swings open, the spikes go back up above the ceiling, and you hear the sound of a loud crash and scraping of metal and hydraulics as absolutely nothing happens. Awesome. Imhotep reforms himself. We were too hasty. <laughs> I was going to say, like, that was a smart one. The spikes were already done. We were forced to go into that room because we all assumed that it was going to go straight to the floor and we're all going to get impaled. So, yep. 
I think that worked out perfectly. Yeah, I think that was perfect. Even Larry's rash smacking the button. Yeah. I think was good in the end. All right, let's go through. As you stumble on into this next room, in the center of the room, there is a suit of armor that is looking back towards the door that you just came out of, to the west. Uh, This room has a door to the north, south, east, and west. And then, really, the only thing of significance in this room is this suit of armor in the center. Can I look at the suit of armor and see if there's anything that sticks out, catches my eye? Roll investigation. While he does that, can I check out the doors? Uh, Yes. As you go to look at the south, east, and north doors, these are similar to the door that you just came in from. No handles, no um, levers or vaults or anything. Couple of small gears in all other ways firmly fastened in place. No signs on these ones? No signs on these ones. And also, since you are in a new room, I will roll for Maledict. Editor Dan here. So the players didn't get to know the outcome of these rolls, but you do. So for this first one, it was literally impossible for him to wake up. The threshold was set to zero, and I rolled a 12. I also got a 24. With a 24 investigating this suit of armor, you see that there are a lot of scratch marks on it. Basically on either shoulder, on its back and on its front, there are a couple of gashes that is pretty consistent all around. You also can see where it is looking as it's facing the door that you came in from. Its gaze is slightly above where the edge of the door was. So I'm going to follow its eyesight and look right where it's looking. There's a small little divot in the wall up above where the door was. That is where its eyesight is fixated on. And as you look around, you see a similar one on the north, south, and east doors. Just above them, there is a very subtly small indent that matches the one on the door from the west. And it's just an indent. Roll Arcana. (laughs) sure no big deal it's just a one no (laughs) Um, it's just a divot oh no there's a silly little dent in the wall (laughs) with a one looking at these divots is pointless and going for the gears at the top of the doors will be more fruitful definitely okay i'm gonna go to the northern door not say anything to anybody and start trying to mess with the gears Roll sleight of hand at a disadvantage. Fantastic. Does this suit of armor look like it can be twisted around at all? Uh, Roll investigation. Well, before that becomes super relevant, I'd like to do something stupid. Yeah, do it. Phantom's been stumbling around drunk in this dungeon. I'd like him to just fully lean all the way against the suit of armor. As you are leaning against the suit of armor, where are you placing your weight? I want to say the way that you would walk up and like slouch over on a friend on like a shoulder. Okay. The suit of armor basically is kind of like a chess piece holding a sword out in front of it that is pointed to the ground. As you lean up against it and press your weight where the gashes were, it turns towards you. Its eyes light up. It pulls the sword out and makes a swing at you. So make a dexterity save. Oh, not that though, right? (laughs) Don't you have advantage on those, or is that a... No. Oh, okay. Gotcha. I have disadvantage right now. (laughs) I don't know if it matters anymore, but I rolled a nat 20 in my look So what you notice from your look 
The feet are not fastened to the floor, but the pedestal is. Four, by the way. He swings his sword at you, and you take three damage. Uh, And scream pitifully for help. (laughs) And after it attacks you, its sword goes back to where it was placed before. The door to your west that you came in from slides back into place, blocking you in. And the door to the north, which the suit of armor is now facing, that door retracts. Meanwhile, I got a nine and I was working on the gears and all I hear is a scream and then the door opens up. Make another sleight of hand roll to see if your fingers get caught or not. Oh, shit. Oh, no. Is this like disadvantage? This is just a straight sleight of hand roll. Okay. And my nat 20 didn't get me anything other than the feet aren't attached to the pedestal. Uh, since it was a nat 20, oh my God. what did you roll? I got a nat 20 on that. Oh, hell yeah. You grow extra fingers. <laughs> I was just about to say, Grayson, don't roll bad. I know. <laughs> With your nat 20, you're able to pull away completely, you're entirely unharmed, and you get a little bit of insight into how these are working. You know that whatever that scream was is what triggered this door opening, and you turn around and you see the phantom kind of cowering a little bit under this suit of armor, and you know that something to do with what the phantom did is what triggered the door. Wolfman, you understand exactly what happened. You could tell from your nat 20 that when this suit of armor is attacked, it will turn to face its attacker, strike out and retaliate, and then it will stay where it is. And wherever it is looking, its eyesight is what triggers the door. Ah, uh-huh, okay. So, looks like our friend Phantom here is the key. We all can take turns, stab him, and his <laughs> screams will open the door. Now. Larry does the kind of just, like, finger up. Um, and then just gives up. I just cover his mouth and I go, yeah, definitely. I just give a slight evil grin to Larry. It's like, this is going to be fun. And he just kind of looks at you like, okay, we're doing this. <laughs> and I lean over and like, don't worry, we're not going to actually stab him, but let him have his fun for a second. Emotep instantly pulls his kopesh. <laughs> <laughs> if you didn't have inspiration before, you do now. <laughs> I have spells that will heal him. Let us do this. Phantom is pouting. So shall we go through the opening of the new door? Well, we've got multiple pathways and many puzzles to solve. Should we all go together in one group? Or should we try and divide our forces and try and solve as many puzzles as possible? The second the suit of armor faces one way, the other doors lock up. So I don't want us to be locked in a room that we can't get out of. Hmm, that's true. What is it with the undead and the puzzles? <laughs> you put them into our pyramids, they are here into these things. What is it with those who are obsessed with death and the puzzles? <laughs> I will not understand this. People only put puzzles when they want to hide something. So, let's find what it is that they want to hide. I look over at Imhotep, I was like, I, weren't there grave robbers when you were alive? That is beside the point. Just because we... So to the north then? To the north then. Yeah, I say to the north. Who's going to help me carry my intestines? You're fine. Imhotep walks over to the phantom, puts his hand on, like, the what? Like, the small cut on his arm or whatever it is? He's got a small gash on his arm, and some of that magician, like, endless string is spilling out from it. Awesome. Grievous wound. If you bled like a normal person, I could do something, but, um... I don't know how to fix satin. You would sew it. (laughs) (laughs) I just cast mending. I don't have mending. I'm just going to cast mending. You know that one spell that's like, oh, what's mending good for? Absolutely nothing. I'm going to go through the door. All right. Walking through. And as you make your way up to the north, 
you see what appears to be a dining room. There's a very long, fanciful table with chairs all around. And in the center is a crystal ball. Mm. It's very ornamentally placed in the exact center of the table. It's got a tiny little bit of ambient light pouring over it. So it has a faint little shine reflecting off of it and looks very grand and elegant. And I do an investigation check on the orb. Sure, roll Arcana. 15. With a 15, you see as you get closer to it, inside the crystal ball, there's a faint swirling of clouds. What looks like a building layout. And as you look around, you can kind of notice where one of the entrances is as you've followed your way through, that that is the layout of this building. I found the map. Is Frankenstein going to tell us or? Oh, yeah, I'm telling you all. All right. So I'm going to go ahead and grab it and start tracing to see where we're at. Do you see an infirmary? <laughs> Just I, I walk over as the phantom keeps complaining. You lost, what, three whole HP? Mommy, I got a boo-boo. <laughs> oh, remember how I said I didn't take the mending cantrip? I took the mending cantrip. What do you mean you didn't take the mending cantrip? <laughs> no, of course I took the mending cantrip. But that being said, when I woke up this morning, I did not take my healing spell. Oh. Okay. But what I do have, I'm going to walk up to the phantom, take a piece of bandage from like my thigh, rip it, and wrap it around his arm. Roll medicine. Thirteen. Thirteen. Ah, uh, you, you get you get one HP back. <laughs> <laughs> Keep complaining. See what happens. And I told her just a little too tight. Can I go ahead and start tracing to see where we're at? Sure. So as you take a look at this crystal ball and you start kind of tracing the pattern of the building layout, some of the clouds of fog on the inside start to roll over and obscure it a little bit. So you give it a good shake and then the map disappears and a little triangle rolls up that says answer unclear. Try again later. Oh, damn it. Oh, it's a magic eight ball. Good. It's a magic eight ball. Yeah. And as you look up and look around the room, you do see that there is an open doorway up to the north end of the room that is going out into a separate hallway. All right. Looking through the door. (laughs) And before you move into the next room, I still have to do the maledict roll for this room, and then I'll do the maledict roll for the next room. Okay. Editor Dan again. So this time the threshold was two, and he rolled a six. So still asleep. Jack is also looking at the uh, crystal ball to see if the map comes back and if the point of view shifts to almost like that mall map to where it's like you are here. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> so you go into this next room and you see another hallway that splits in two. There is a door to your south and a door to your east. The door to your east looks a bit more solidly fastened in place. The one to your south is kind of hanging open a little bit and going to make the maledict roll. Editor Dan, you know the drill. Threshold was four. He rolled a 16, so still sleeping. Can Jack just peer through, not going through the door, but like just look through to see if there's anything that catches his eye? Yes. As you peer through the doorway a little bit, you can see what looks to be sort of a lounge area. You see a chair, you see a couple of paintings, you see a little bit of a table spread set up. There's a room to both the west and the east of this, but it looks relatively small, big enough to comfortably fit all of you with some change, but still a relatively small kind of alcove. I want to go south. You have a reason for saying so? Looks like we might be able to explore a little bit more of this place in a quicker time. 
but from the crystal Paul, it or from the crystal ball. <laughs> crystal Paul. The crystal name Paul. As you look around the room, you find a crystal Ringo, a crystal John, and a crystal George. Oh, God. Yes. <laughs> Larry thinks to himself, well, if he wants to go south, I want to go east. So Larry's going to walk closer to the locked door. Sorry, I know who I'd rather hang with. <laughs> yeah, let's go. I suppose I can venture towards the south with you, Jack. Come on, monster, come to the cool group. You have the key? I mean, I have the skeleton key, so I guess I'm the one who can open up a few doors in our way. Oh, we shall be fine. We will meet up when we have the chance. Okay. The Frankenstein monster, the Wolfman, and the Phantom are going east. Yes. Imhotep and the Invisible Man are going south. Yep. Which group wants to go first? Why doesn't the larger party go first? I look over to Phantom, I was like, that's right. The guy with the lockpicking stuff is going the opposite direction. Uh, Jack, before we split, do you mind trying a huge favor real quick? I'm already gone. <laughs> Never mind. Hi, butthole. <laughs> All right, I look over to Larry. He's like, hey, Larry, mm-hmm. how good are you with locks? I like how Frankenstein doesn't <laughs> want to use the damn key. Like, that's the whole reason why Jack just left. <laughs> Buffoons. The Phantom would like to drunkenly attempt to uh, lockpick. <laughs> Go for it, buddy. Oh, God, no. Oh, God, no. What is your sleight of hand skill? It is... It's higher than mine. <laughs> Plus one. Oh, mine's a negative one. Good thing I did not try. <laughs> yeah, mine's a negative one, too. Oh, sweet. We're a couple of klutzes. <laughs> Just use the key. I'm not oh, there. Dude, I'm sorry. Phantom is doing this drunken thing. <laughs> doing his thing. He's going to break the lock. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so you're going to roll a D8 four times and you are trying to get between 18 and 21 oh inclusive oh inclusive but at disadvantage because you're drunk Uh, still there oh my god oh nice 18 hey you're able to open the door up oh my god as it swings open Ta-da! I applaud. I'm amazed. I I slow clap, and then I think to myself, I am never letting him do that ever again. I, I lean over to the Frankenstein. It's a miracle. Do you think it's because he's drunk? Do you think I gave him a power or something? I don't know, and I'd rather not risk it again. I'm trying to <laughs> save this. I'm trying to save this damn key for as long as I can. But of course, yeah, no, I'm not risking that. We'll have to keep that in mind. <laughs> yeah. As you go into this next room, everybody roll perception. Right. Ooh, perception. It, I'm also simultaneously going to roll for Maledict. Editor Dan, the threshold for this one was six, and Maledict rolled a two. So he is awake now, and now I'm going to be rolling for distance. He is currently four rooms away. Oh. 14. Two. No. 17. I rolled a two, but with my plus four, it's a six. It could be worse. <laughs> I, You know what? I'm going to use my inspiration and re-roll. Oh, yes. Oh, God, please do. <laughs> my re-roll is a 12 plus four, 16. Yay. You'll love to see it. I love to see it. Yay. So you open the door and go into this room, and it is a long, narrow hallway going from north to south. There is a stone pillar on either end of it, one to the north, one to the south, and because you all rolled above a 10, you notice really close to the ground, running strung up between the two pillars, is a tripwire. 
Uh, You can maneuver your way through here without setting it off if you are careful and light of foot. Everyone rolls stealth with advantage. So Phantom, that's going to cancel out and be just a normal roll. 18. The second Dan said tripwire, I'm like, I immediately regret coming in this room right now. I mean, that's if we try and step over it, right? Oh, an 18 minus 117. Good. Would you look at that? Sorry, y'all. I rolled a 10, so I'm going to get us all killed. Oh, fuck. We were so dexterous. Can I have a carry phantom through this? Mm Mm-hmm. Piggyback. Carry the drunk boy. Carry the drunk-ass idiot on my shoulders (laughs) since there's a tripwire and I'm just like, oh, hell no. Here's what I'm going to do. You have 30 seconds Uh to try and disarm the tripwire before phantom knocks it over. You can cut the wire if you have the appropriate tools and you make a sleight of hand check. Or you can try to just bum rush your way out with another dexterity check to try and get yourself through. You've got the key. So 30 seconds starting now. What do I see? The tripwire is on the ground. You see the phantom about to stumble over it. So we can catch him? You can try to, if you want to make an acrobatics roll, you can try to stabilize him. I can do that. Oh, wait, no, I can't. I'm, damn it. Do it. You know what? Fudge. Why not? Fudge it. I'm going to do it. 15 minus 1, 14. 14, uh, phantom roll opposed. <laughs> roll low. This is acrobatics, which Please. is dexterity, so you are rolling at a disadvantage. Net 20. Net 20. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> no, no, disadvantage, disadvantage. Seven. Okay. So, uh, did, so did he fail? I couldn't hear. So he failed. Awesome. You were able to catch awesome. him just in time. The timer went off as you were making that roll. I see Phantom about to step on the tripwire. I rush up to him, grab him by his chest, and not slam him to hurt him, but put him up against a wall. And I say, don't move. Like the mom seatbelt. <laughs> yeah, I totally mom seatbelt him. Yeah, so you mom seatbelt him against the wall. In order to get out of this room, you will all need to either step over it or disarm it. So you can try once again to get everybody safely over the tripwire, or you can try to disarm it. I have an idea. Larry? Yes? Hello? You're the most nimble out of all of us right now. Above table, that is not the truth, but whatever you say. (laughs) (laughs) Unless you think you can hold this drunken idiot against the wall so he doesn't trip this wire... I want to give you the skeleton key so you can open the door and then I'll try to toss him over and we'll get through <laughs> the other side safely. <laughs> okay. Uh. Or Phantom just getting tossed everywhere. Because this idiot was like, I'm going to drink a Bloody Mary. So it's all his own damn fault. Well, to be fair, I wanted a Darkened Storm. I don't care. That was <laughs> my drink, you son of a bitch. <laughs> I love this group I found myself in. So Larry <laughs> takes the key, looks at you with tears in his eye. He says, I'll try my best but I'll let you know I failed P.E. Oh, no. <laughs> I failed P.E. I look at Larry and like, Larry, you can do this. So, Wolfman, make a dexterity Does roll. Does the drunken phantom have any inspiration he can give me? I feel like we could all just walk across. <laughs> oh, we all can just walk across, uh-huh. Uh-huh, yeah, sure, walk across the south the track right, and we'll possibly right. die. Oh, phew, okay. So, 17 minus 1. 16. You're able to avoid the tripwire and make your way to the door to unlock it. Okay. So I'm sweating, and I go and I unlock the door. And as you unlock the door, 
it swings open to reveal a room that looks to be another storage room. There's a couple of boxes spread throughout. Is it some nice shiplap on the wall? It's mostly just exposed wood across the wall. This is a room that uh, looks like they don't expect to get many visitors in, so didn't put any <laughs> effort into making look presentable. And there is a door to your south in this new room. It seems clear in here. This seems to be, I don't know, just storage room for extra things. I don't think this is a puzzle or anything. Well, this is storage room. How come this room is trapped? To be fair, not a very good trap. Just a tripwire. Well, we don't want to see what the tripwire activates now, do we? You're correct. Making my maledict roll. Editor Dan here. He is in the room directly behind the team. Okay, continue. (laughs) <laughs> we see a, a yawning, stretching vampire open this door in his bathrobe. I'm like, oh, what's going on here? Shit. <laughs> I look over to Phantom's like, you ready to fly? And I chuck him through the door. I try and catch him. Frankenstein monster, roll athletics. Wolfman, roll acrobatics. Acrobatics is a minus one, but I rolled an 18, so that's a 17. That's good. Oh. That's good. Right. I rolled a natural 20. <laughs> Phantom becomes a frisbee. <laughs> Phantom does a perfect football spiral. The cape's so aerodynamic, he really sails like a paper airplane. Sorry, DM, can I do flavor text for this part? Go for it. So you know how in those old-timey Western movies where they throw some people out of saloon where it's like the, the scruff in their neck and like the belt of their pants? Mm-hmm. So I throw him like that, but as he's flying through the air, Phantom is the most majestic creature for a split second. As I pick him up and I throw him over the tripwire through the room, he is gliding like a virgin swan, just being the most beautiful, majestic thing through the air, going straight over to Larry. The blue Danube plays quiet in the distance. Yep. I was going to say Swan Lake. Yeah. <laughs> and myself and I'm going to assume Larry just like look at it go that is mother effing beautiful I want to catch him and do like a spin like in a ballet you from mid air catch him spin around take him into a perfect dip Ta-da. and some confetti just kind of pops <laughs> out of his cape oh wait did Phantom ever drop disguise he's got a beautiful sun hat on while all this happens <laughs> it's true it was just a sun hat yeah <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I packed it okay, up. Okay, okay. I really want to know if Phantom appreciated how beautiful that whole choreographed thing was. It was incredible. It was incredible. Never had such close friends. <laughs> really bonded over this. We're doing great. We're having a great time, you guys. Uh, hang on real quick. I'll be right back. My dog needs to be let out. Uh, in the meantime, if you guys want to like talk about your feelings or something, go for it. How is everyone holding up after that whole um, mirror nonsense? Is everyone doing okay? What happened with the mirror for um for you? I guess I could say I saw it it seems like the darkest reality for me, if that makes sense. Well, I'm very sorry to hear that. That completely makes sense. How what what about for you guys? What did it can be as detailed or as vague as you like, but um how how did that go down for you? Brilliant, wonderful. Uh loved it. Can you imagine getting to look into a mirror and see this every day? Come on. Fair enough. I don't exactly have um, the best appearance. We're all works in progress. <laughs> <laughs> the, the silence, the silence of just, um, yeah. <laughs> I saw what was possibly my father's greatest creation, and it was destroying everything around it. 
No qual, no quarter, no prisoners, everything destroyed, burnt to the absolute ground. I don't know how you both felt, but strangely, I feel more convicted than ever. I love life. I mean, I know I've taken it and I've done horrible things, but I want this world preserved. I want this world to thrive. And yet there are people out there that can, all they care about is death and destruction. And if I turned out any different than what I am now, who knows what would happen? When you say all that, you can see there is like, it hits Larry like a wave of not surprise, but there's like an understanding there that makes him well up a little bit. And you can see he's kind of, he's holding something back a little bit. I should be the only creation of Victor Frankenstein to walk this earth. If another one of me were to be created, if one of his students, if one of those, if anyone took up my father's studies, I don't know what would happen. And quite frankly, I never want to find out. Like you, I want to stop what was in the mirror if I can. If that's a possibility in life, I too want to make sure it does not become a reality whatever it takes. Well, no more mirrors for us. The next time you need to see your visages, and then I want Phantom to like scoot close to them and hold up his hands to make like a square that frames us in it. <laughs> and then he prestidigitates a photograph like a Polaroid. Aww. Aww. <laughs> and he hands it to Larry. Aww. Larry looks up at you, just tears welling up in his eyes and is like, thank you. I think this is one of the nicest things I have ever received. He's like, can I keep it? Can I keep it? It only exists for an hour, but absolutely. <laughs> oh, well, you know what? For that short hour, I will cherish it immensely. Add that to your inventory. What I will say, that picture can be spent to neutralize one disadvantage. Oh, The power of friendship. Power of friendship. Okay. Oh, one more thing, Larry. Do you still have the key? The key? Yes. And I hand it back over to you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Of course. Oh, I forgot to roll for the key, so hang on. Don't make me hand him back a crumpled key. Oh, cry. Key stays intact. Yes! Okay. Just looking at both at Eric and Mary, he's like, I haven't had friends like this in a very long time. Thank you both. All right. Ooh. I'm feeling much better after that whole mirror mishap. You're right, Eric. No more mirrors. Let's keep moving forward. Now I'll swap back to the Invisible Man and Imhotep. Are the two of you ready? Yes, we're good. Ha uh-huh. Yeah. All right, so the room that you two walk into, like I said before, it's kind of a lounge and like game room area. As you're looking around, there's a decorative painting on the wall. There's a chair in the corner, a couple of mounted taxidermy animal heads. It's got more of a parlor feel to it. You do see in the northern corner of the room, there is a table and chairs with a checkerboard set up. And there is also in this room... To the east and to the west, a door. I'm going to head straight over to the painting and start looking at it. As you're looking at this painting, it looks purely decorative. Jack just wants to know if it's valuable at all, really. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm going to roll a d20 for that. That's a six, so not really. <laughs> it's a very symbolic and abstract representation of the elements. You see a handful of crystals that are surrounded. There is a yellow crystal with a lightning bolt through it. There is a red crystal that is emblazed in fire. There's a blue crystal that is frostbitten and a black crystal that is emanating a bit of a shadow as a radiant light passes through all of them. I mean, as per your description, I kind of want it now. (laughs) 
So even though it's not valuable, I'm going to take out my knife and cut it out. It will be deducted from your earnings, but you can take the pain. Son of a bitch, but oh well. So Imhotep is like looking at the checkerboard. Jack, I believe that must you do that. He just kind of stops his sentence and just like, must you pull that painting down? You never know. We can get something for it, maybe. What do you expect? To... <sighs> very well, very well. Yes, fine. Take your painting, take your painting. <laughs> let, us, let us carry on then. I'll walk over to the game table and look at that. Go ahead and roll Arcana. Both of us? Both of you. 20. Unnatural, but 20. That's a 17. With a 17, the pieces begin to move themselves as it plays out a game almost automatically. Imhotep, with your 20, you can tell that there is an enchantment put on this checkerboard that can be broken by successfully winning a game of checkers. And as the board clears itself away, the black pieces kind of shift to one side and the red pieces spell out the word play, question mark. Jack is going to hover his hand over the chair to kind of see if he bumps into anything that's invisible. As you run your hand through the chair, you don't feel anything. So with that, Imhotep sits down at the table and goes, yes. You feel magical shackles anchor you down in place. As the board resets itself to the beginning of a checkers game. Your hands can move, but you can't get out of the chair. How rude. I already said I was going to play. What's wrong? I'm going to play a game, and for some reason, the table believes that I am going to simply abandon the game halfway through. As you are having this dialogue, the pieces slide around along the board again and form 1P, 2P, question mark. Would you have a seat? Fine. And I'll go ahead and sit down. So as you sit down, Invisible Man, you feel the same thing. You feel this ethereal force and weight pin you down into the chair. The checkerboard acknowledges that there are two of you. The 1P fades away, the 2P circles around, and the checker pieces align on both of their sides, black and red. And Wato kind of sits there with his fingers together. I believe the phrase that people use nowadays is the gotcha bitch. <laughs> You're going to play a game with me now. And this is fine. We don't have to worry about the fact that we're stuck here at the moment. You place too much emphasis into your worries and your skepticism. We are simply playing a game. The fact that we are held prisoners, I believe, will end once one of us wins. But what happens to the loser? Uh, let's say that we're going to aim for your victory for the sake of this. I'm fine with that. Both of you make five intelligence rolls. Just straight intelligence? Just straight intelligence. So I have my first roll, my second roll, my third roll, uh-oh, my fourth roll, <laughs> and my fifth roll. All right. Are you, you going to win? Are you winning, son? I've got all mine done. My first roll was 12. 21. Oh. 17. 17. 23. 19. 21. 8. 10. 15. All right, I have to rethink this now because you tied. Do we want to do one more check? I mean, we can. One more. Okay. Eyebreaker. 23. 15. Invisible Man wins. So, Invisible Man, increase your intelligence score by one. Oh, shit. Imhotep, you will take a D6 psychic damage. Zap them, boys. Give me that six damage. <laughs> Spicy. You are both released. You can feel the ethereal shackles let you go, and you can feel a mystical weight leave the room. Do we notice any changes in the room? Both of the doors unlock and kind of creak open a little bit. 
So you have the door to the east and a door to the west. That could have gone better, but all things considered, I will accept it. Good game. Thank you. <laughs> that was a nice little distraction. Next time we have a chance to play Senat, I will not be so easy on you. I'd appreciate that. I'm going to walk over to the door to, I think, my east. I'll go with them. You see, as you open this up, there is a bookshelf in this room. Oh. All right, Imhotep steps forward to the bookcase and then looks at the titles on the spines. As you are looking through this bookcase, being used as bookend weight, there is a blue crystal that looks strikingly similar to the design of the crystal on the painting that the Invisible Man took down. You do also see a couple of titles that particularly stand out to you are The Care and Keeping of a Soul Cage, written by Gary Gygax. I Have No Reflection and I Must Preen, written by Marlo Bronte. (laughs) Oh. I Made a Devil's Bargain and So Can You, by Johann Faustus, PhD. Oh my god. (laughs) And 13 Tips to Gain Entry to People's Homes by Professor Harold Hill. I like that one. Wait a minute. Those are just the books that you see that kind of jump out at you. Imhotep looks them over and he reaches for the Soul Cage book. You see a text that details a lot of information about the concept of the Soul Cage. The Soul Cage, also sometimes known as a phylactery, but we're not going to be using that term because when I was doing some research, I found out that apparently it's been used in some pretty anti-Semitic contexts. So um, we're just going to call it a soul cage. It's a Harry Potter horcrux. (laughs) This is a thing that extremely powerful and ancient magics can do that is required to do this ceremony that shoves your soul into an object of importance in order to gain a sort of pseudo-immortality. It's kind of a respawn point. So if someone who has created a soul cage dies, their physical essence can be restored anywhere between a few hours to a few weeks after they were destroyed based on the strength of the magic used to create and sustain the soul cage. Someone who has manifested a soul cage can only die if both their physical form and their soul cage are destroyed. A soul cage grows stronger and more resilient by harvesting the souls of others to use as a power source. And so that is the gist of what you get from flipping through this book. Do you see anything worthwhile in there? Trying to think about what to say. There are other good books. I want the how-to guide on B&Es. Yeah. (laughs) Imhotep looks through the book, closes it, puts it into his bag, grabs the blue crystal, twirls it a little bit, gives it a look, Does an Arcana check, maybe? See if there's anything special about it. Do I see the cover of the book that he put in his bag? Roll Perception. 19. You get the sense that there is some slight elemental magic imbued in this, and you, with your 19, have a feeling that this is the piece to another puzzle. (laughs) Wee! Yeah, so I stuff it in my pack. I got a 12 for checking to see if I could see the cover. You saw enough of the cover's design to be suspicious, but you couldn't make out the words. But just no title. All right, well, since he's not talking, I'm going to go ahead and start looking at bookshelf myself. I think when I see the Marlo Bronte book, I'm going to grab it. As you pull that book out of the bookshelf, the entire bookshelf begins to rumble. Son of a bitch. And rotate 
as it opens up into a secret passageway joining your room with the room that the other three are in. As as Jack does that, Imhotep kind of makes his way through, pokes his head. Hello. Hello. Everything going well? (laughs) For the most part. You look a little worse for wear. They had a rather shocking game of checkers. Nice, nice. We're just having a good time. Flew today. He did fly. It was beautiful. It was stunning. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Then, Invisible Man, if you wanted to read the book... Yeah, I'm going to flip through this one, like, decently quick. You kind of skim through some of the pages, and it looks like it's a bunch of lofty prose. There's some existential dread in there, but it's something that you can't quite relate to. And as you flip to the very end of the book, you kind of read through the last passage, and it says, Outwardly, gorgeously, I prance about. A thing that could never have been known as a human. A thing whose shape is so alien and majestic that humanity becomes more obscure for the vague attempt at resemblance. Inwardly, alone, uncertain, living under the land, under the sea, in the grasp of Asmodeus, whom we invited in because our time alive was badly spent. We must have known unconsciously he could make our time undead better. We know what remains of our hearts, that we are beautiful, and yet we can never truly be certain. Asmodeus has won. Simply, he has taken his revenge. I have no reflection, and I must preen. I'm snapping, by the way. Not Wolfman, just Jordan. (laughs) There were two other books that were of note. 13 Tips to Gain Entry to People's Homes. I want that one. And... I made a devil's bargain, and so can you. I was also going to snag that one as well. Okay, do you look through them? Uh, I want to look through the how to sneak into people's houses. All right, so as you flip through it, it's a lot of, like, sales jargon. Tell me you have all 13 (laughs) tips. The chapter titles are as follows. Number one, be knowledgeable about what you have to offer and don't be afraid to use it. Number two, be direct. Number three, Connect with your victim on a personal level. Number four, use rejection to your advantage. Number five, be presentable. Number six, make proper use of your time management skills. Number seven, notice subtle cues. Number eight, get to know your prospective victim. (laughs) Number nine, use effective prospecting. Number 10, understand a victim's pain points. (laughs) Number 11, Know how to handle an objection. Number 12, be mindful of personal space. Number 13, have a powerful closer. Wow. Not gonna lie, I ripped that straight from a book on door-to-door sales techniques, and the (laughs) only change I made was I swapped the word client for victim. (laughs) Wow. You also get a plus one to your charisma for having read through the book. Oh, fantastic. Oh my gosh. You're getting all the stat boosts. Knowledge is power, kids. The Faust one, I actually had other plans for it, so I'm not going to read that. So with that, I can kind of see that Imhotep's talking to everyone. And I'm going to make a Maledict roll. Editor Dan, Maledict is in the room with them. Please don't be awake. Okay, how do you all proceed? I want to look in the crate. Imhotep leans around the corner and sees as as Larry goes and goes, Oh, crate! (laughs) (laughs) A question mark goes over Larry's head. It's a callback. <laughs> I want to look into the crate as well. Yeah, let's rifle through it. Yeah, the three besties are going to look in the crate. The three amigos. Yeah, we'll get all the good stuff. At the top of this crate, there is a black gem that has a similar resemblance to 
the blue gem that Imhotep has pocketed. Which one of you is going to take that gem out? Well, let's not all reach for it at once. I'll take it then. Yeah, go for it. Yeah, let's let the drunk guy take it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> for flavor, uh, when I go to put it in my pocket the first time, I do just miss and drop it on the floor. I'm like, like oh, oh, shit. Oh. <laughs> so I pick it up and then I put it in. So as you drop it on the floor, a hand shoots out at you, grabs onto you and says, let me get that for you. Oh, shit. <laughs> As Maledict Stonecroft materializes in this room. I say, oh, thank you. It does not register. (laughs) Now, what else of my things can I get for you? And a dark cloud of smoke begins to erupt from out of him. And he summons. Oh, he's rolling a randomized table. Oh, no. The smoke that billows out from under him materializes into two massive wriggling swarms of rats. And then exploding up above him, the smoke plumes up and bursts into a swarm of bats that circles around him. And all three of them start to like ooze out from him (laughs) towards each of you. I want to continue off of the, uh, is there anything else I can get you? Uh, yes, can you please get us, uh, a Marla Bronte, I invite you in! And then I run. As, uh, Larry does that, Imhotep kind of grabs one of the patches and just throws it. Hell yeah. I'm gonna roll a D100 to see what this patch does. (laughs) Okay, so that is 80. Okay. It poofs into an ethereal mist <laughs> that then swirls around and re-solidifies into a spell scroll. Crap! That drops down <laughs> at his feet. No! Sir, may I pick that up and take a look at it? <laughs> it is a spell scroll of your choice, Daniel, first through third level. Something that works on vampires and not us. <laughs> As that spell scroll drops at Maledict's feet... Then Marlo materializes in the room, snatches up that spell scroll and says, Well, 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 I didn't expect to be coming out of this a little bit richer. And fans out his cloak and basically blocks off all of the rats and bats. And they all kind of drop to the floor in disappointment as Maledict, his expression sinks and he looks at Marlo and says, Oh, I should have known of Of course it be you, Marlowe. I'm surprised you didn't expect me sooner. It's my own fucking house. (laughs) You lost the right to call it that when you cheated on me with Akasha. Oh, are we rehashing that argument again? What can I say? I was bored. Comes with the territory of living, you know, forever. Yeah, get him, Marlon Brando. Yes. (laughs) But we had an agreement... I thought we were on the same page about that. Yes, but that agreement became null and void when you killed one of my fucking gargoyles. The gargoyles? The gargoyles. You know what? He's fair. If you killed a gargoyle, that's on you. And Marlo looks back over his shoulder to all of you and to get sympathy points says, Poor Sandstone's never been the same after what he did to Granite. Oh. Oh. But he ate my rats. Well, he's a natural predator. You should have known better than to let him in range of your rats. All right, this is getting out of hand. This is not the time or place. What is what is all this riffraff <laughs> doing here? And gestures to all of you. 
You can consider them contractors. I, I brought them in to do me a little bit of a favor to get back in to the house that I own, mind you. Uh, by the way, all of you are free to go. We're going to be, uh, we're, we're probably going to be talking things out for quite a while. May, may I collect that scroll? You might want to let me take the scroll. I do not think it is something a vampire would necessarily want to hold on to. Uh, what's the spell? Daylight. Hell <laughs> oh. yeah. Yes, Daniel. Yes, Daniel. <laughs> and he says, oh, really? Opens the scroll up and looks at it and oh. says, oh, really? Rolls it back up and chucks <laughs> it at you. <laughs> awesome. Marlo says, you, you all are free to go. I'll meet you back at the nest. This is going to take a while to wrap up. We do have a lot we need to discuss. Get the hell out of my house, I'm, everyone. I'm gonna go. <laughs> We're gonna go. Bye. Yeah. I have fun. Phantom is still sitting at the crate and has prestidigitated like a wine bottle and a glass. Marlo uses a mage hand to no. snatch the wine away from you, pulls it in and says, why, thank you. No. This will come in handy. <laughs> oh my gosh. Come on. Come on. We'll catch back up with the gossip later. I pick up uh, Phantom. I put him on my shoulders like, you're coming <laughs> with me, buddy. <laughs> we are the outcasts, the misfits, you might say. We deal with the nightmares that you run away from every single day. We know the world is a gruesome little place. But us outsiders, we've developed quite a taste for the grisly and morbid, the ghastly and the horrid. We know it's awful, dreadful, but we like it. Just another haunted night, shrouded with unearthly fright. So when you're oh so terrified, you know who to call. The world is falling apart, we'll never take it to heart. So monsters and creatures and spirits and specters and all, let's all have a ball. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of D and Dark, created and hosted by myself, Danger Dan Jers. Stick around to the end for this episode's blooper. A quick announcement, Holiday Stuff is putting us a little bit behind, so there will be no episode next week, but we will be back on Wednesday, December 28th. Other announcement, we're in the process of putting together a website, and we want to try to start hosting transcripts of our episodes for anybody who might need them for either squeamishness or disability reasons. But in order to make that happen, we're going to need your help to get this podcast in more people's ears. Best way that you can do that is by leaving us a review on ratethispodcast.com slash dndark. You can also help by engaging with us on Instagram and TikTok at dndark underscore podcast. We appreciate all of you who share your love for this crazy podcast and hope that you'll continue to help us do the same. Dean Dark's cast is Jordan Nelson as Larry Talbot, the Wolfman, Grayson Norman as Jack Griffin, the Invisible Man, Ben Magnet as Mary, the Frankenstein Monster, Aaron Coffold as Eric, the Phantom of the Opera, and Daniel Cruz as Imhotep, the Mummy. Our theme song and outro is Let's All Have a Ball by Ryan White Maloney and Tony Carboni, recorded at True North Studios, Las Vegas. Additional music this episode was provided by Braxton Cheney. Our cover art was provided by Jordan Nelson. Listen to new episodes of D&D Dark on Wednesdays, anywhere you find podcasts. My first roll was 12. 21. Paul. 17. 17. 23. 19. 23, 19. Got a 23, 19. <laughs>
a bunch of gargoyles in hazmat suits <laughs> crash through the ceiling and drag <laughs> you both away. No, no! We found the Easter egg.